Well, hello and welcome to Beat the Reset. My name is Tim and I am the guy in the hat. And today I wanted to talk to you about something called the end game. People on my channel often reach out to me and say to me, Tim, what do you think is the end game and where are they taking us? And what was this last two and a half years of health crisis all about? And I'd like to answer that question today. And first of all, before we go there, I'd like to define the word they. This is a word that comes up a lot. And I think it's very important in every context and every conversation to define the word they. Who are we talking about? Are we talking about governments? Is that the they? Are we talking about uh, globalist organisations? Is that the they? In my opinion, it is neither. I believe that the they are the central banks or the central bankers in this case. And let me explain why I say that. There are three tiers of banking. Three. There's the retail banks, which are your commercial banks, and I'll talk about that in a moment. There are the wholesale banks, which are the central banks. And then there's a third tier, which I'll talk about in a moment, and that's where I think that they are. So, at the retail level you have something called a commercial bank. Your educational institutions taught you to have a little piggy bank and to put some coins in that and to think small. Think like a consumer. Take your currency, pop it into a retail bank, put it in a retail bank account. Maybe that uh, bank account has a positive interest rate applied to it and over time, if you have enough currency in your bank account, it will actually grow. You were taught this, you know, pop it in a bank account and you can grow your currency. Uh, And of course, then you'll have more currency and then you'll be able to buy more things, which is a consumer mentality. Now, if you don't have enough currency to buy things, you can go into your bank and you can actually ask them for extra currency. And if they think you've been a good enough person and they think you've been dutiful enough and that you have and look like you have the ability to even pay it back, they will then issue you a thing called a loan. But where does this loan come from? Does the bank actually have the money to loan you? Of course not. They never have and they never will. They operate something called a fractional banking system. A fractional banking system, in in a nutshell, is the ability for a retail bank to simply create money out of thin air. What a wonderful system that is. Imagine being able to magically create your money, uh, your currency out of thin air and just pay it back. We wouldn't even need a retail bank if we all had the ability to to create currency out of thin air. But these guys have the ability to do it through fractional banking, uh, also known as counterfeiting uh, for the common man. However, they have the legal right to do it and they've been doing it excessively forever, which is part of the reason that the uh, middle class is in the mess that it's in right now. But let's move beyond the retail banks, also known as commercial banks. Let's move up a level. Let's move up a level to the central banks. Most countries only have one central bank. In fact, central banks are either constitutionally owned or legislated into existence through an act of of parliament, or 
they are privately owned, as in the case of the Federal Reserve in the United States. At least with central banks that are constitutionally set up, they have some sort of oversight by government and parliament. But with private central banks, such as the Federal Reserve, there is no oversight. So what does a central bank do that is different to a retail bank? The central banks print the money. That is it. They also have the power to raise and lower inflation through the moving of interest rates. So central banks have enormous power and control over sovereign economies. So you can see that a government, a a ruling government, doesn't really have any power if it doesn't have any money. So it needs to have a very good relationship with its central bank in order to get currency and and money so that it, it can do the things that it wants to do. So are there any banks that sit above the central bank? So remember, we've spoken about retail banks, the banks of the people. We've spoken about central banks, which are the banks of government. But is there any bank that sits above the central bank? And the answer is yes. Which brings me to the they, the most powerful they on planet Earth, more powerful than any other they, and it is the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland. And as I've mentioned previously, this particular bank has the power to control currency flows all over the globe. It has the power to extinguish all fiat currencies on earth at the flick of a switch. The Bank for International Settlements is not governed or owned by any nation. It operates completely independently of any constitution, of any laws. You cannot step foot on the soil of the Bank for International Settlements. It is not accountable to any government, to any monarchy, to any sovereign nation anywhere on planet Earth and has absolute power over currencies globally. That is where I think you may find the they because that those who control the currency flow also control the power of the world. So where are they, the Bank for International Settlements, intending to take us? Before we go any further, I would like to explain the definition of the word derivative. Now, I'm not a financial guy. I'm not an economist. I don't have accounting degrees. I'm just an average bloke. But for me, coming across this word derivative was a game changer. It enabled me to understand where the they, who I explained previously, are taking us and why they are taking us there. A derivative is simply an accounting tool or accounting mechanism that derives, hence the word derivative, derives its value from an underlying asset. Now, that sounds all very complicated. What on earth is the guy in the hat talking about? Well, we know that an asset can be anything, anything physical. It could be a a piece of fruit or a vegetable. It could be a home or a piece of gold. An asset is largely anything physical 
and let's say in your possession. So what is a derivative then? Well, a derivative is a piece of paper, essentially, or a, a digital uh, bit on a screen that represents that asset. So that's all it is. So the derivative can be traded. The asset doesn't have to move. So if you've got a home and I created a derivative for your home, what you would have is a piece of paper that represented your home. That's what a derivative is. And I could trade that piece of paper with different people, but your home doesn't physically move. It stays right where it is. So we can sell and trade that piece of paper with all sorts of people all over the world, but the house hasn't moved. It stays in exactly the same place. So derivatives are accounting tools and economic measures the entire stock market is a derivative market. In other words, it's lots of paper trading, essentially, let's say digital paper trading, with underlying assets. But the assets don't move. They stay right where they are. But the stock market trades every day. So it's the derivative that moves, the pieces of paper that move. So let's get down to it. So we've understood who the they are, the very, very powerful central bankers. And we've understood something now called derivatives, which is the ability to be able to convert physical assets to digits on a screen or what we call pieces of paper that can be traded. Isn't that interesting? So why would the they, the central bankers, want to have a system where assets weren't traded but pieces of paper that represented assets were traded? And the reason is it's not only far simpler to trade like that, without moving the assets around, but it's also easier to control and to manipulate. So have we seen any examples of this kind of control and manipulation using derivatives? And the answer is we have, and we see it every day of our lives. The greatest example, of course, is the stock market. That is a total derivative-based system. There are no assets that are traded. It's just paper that is moved around, sold and sold again and exchanged. And at the end of the day, they work it all out. But the underlying assets never move. For me, another one is, of course, the spot price of gold and silver. There's another classic example. Gold and silver are physical assets, unless you convert them to a derivative. And then that derivative can be traded. So the gold and silver, physical gold and silver, doesn't physically move. But does this system lend itself to uh, nefarious means? Are there any, is there any skullduggery and bootleggers in the derivative market? And the answer is, well, absolutely. And that, in my opinion, is one of the major reasons it was created. For example, silver derivatives are sold 500 times to the amount of physical silver that's actually on the planet. So there are 500 times the amount of silver paper stocks than there is physical silver on the planet. So clearly you can see straight away that derivatives um, can get out of kilter with the physical asset that sits behind them. But once again, the question at the beginning of this whole podcast was, what is the end game? And here it comes. So remember, I've told you about the they which is, of course, the central bankers. I've told you about derivatives, which are the pieces of paper that represent underlying assets. And now I'm going to introduce to you Executive Order 14067 and the digital assets economy. The digital assets economy in conjunction with Executive Order 14067 in the United States, which was signed into life 
on March the 9th by Joe Biden this year, 2022, is simply a way to convert and regulate all digital assets on earth. What am I talking about? Well, digital asset corporations, which are now approved on the New York Stock Exchange on Wall Street, can simply take anything on this planet and convert it into a derivative. When I say take anything, I mean anything. Digital asset corporations can take mountains and trees and oceans and beaches and parks, lakes and rivers. They can take anything and convert it to a tradable derivative. Now, if that doesn't tell you where they are taking us, you and I will have to pay for the privilege of using these underlying assets. And the value that we have to pay will be traded as a tradable stock derivative. So a mountain, in order for you to walk on a mountain, you will have to pay a fee. To swim in a creek, to swim in a beach, to walk on the sand, you will have to pay a fee. And that fee will be tradable via a derivative on the stock market. Isn't that interesting? So if you wonder where they are taking us, they, the central bankers, are taking us into a digital world where everything is digitised. Everything from your currency, which will become central bank digital currency, which I've spoke about in a previous podcast. Everything from your currency to, uh, to if you walk on the grass, are you walking on the concrete, are you driving in your car, everything will be a tradable derivative and you will pay dearly for everything. And the entire purpose is to shrink your life down to a molecule-sized life so that you will do almost nothing, you will travel almost nowhere, you will own almost nothing, and you will be happy doing it. And they will trade on the stock market using derivatives, so you will pay for everything. So uh, that is where we are going into the digital assets world, the digital assets economy. And uh, it'll all be set up and operated and controlled via the powerful, very powerful, if not all powerful, central banks. So that's it for me today. Uh, I hope that makes some sense to you all. I will be talking more about digital assets corporations in upcoming podcasts. But until then, I hope you are safe. I hope you are well. I hope you are stacking gold and silver. I hope you are protecting your assets. And uh, once again, until I speak to you again... I look forward to seeing you very soon.